Section 51 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Volume 2, Part 2, Gilead, the Crafty. Book 1st, The Reef. Chapter 1, The Place Which It Is Hard to Reach and Difficult to Leave. The boat, seen from many points on the coast of Guernsey, and at various hours during the preceding evening, was, as the reader has already divined, the paunch boat. Gilliatt had selected the channel along the coast among the rocks. It was a perilous route, but the most direct. His only thought had been to take the shortest course. Shipwrecks will not wait. The sea is exacting. An hour's delay might be irreparable. He wished to go quickly to the rescue of the imperiled engine. Gilead's chief solicitude on quitting Guernsey appeared to be not to arouse attention. He departed as if trying to escape. He seemed to be seeking concealment. He avoided the eastern coast like a person who found it inexpedient to pass in sight of St. Sampson and St. Pierreport. He slipped, one might almost say that he glided, silently along the opposite coast, which is comparatively uninhabited. Among the shoals he was obliged to row, but Gilliatt managed his oar according to hydraulic principles, to take the water quietly and to drop it without haste, and in this manner he could proceed through the darkness as rapidly and with as little noise as possible. One might have thought that he was bent on some evil deed. The truth is that, though he was dashing headlong into an enterprise which strongly resembled the impossible, and though risking his life with nearly all the chances against him, he feared rivalry. As the day began to break, those unknown eyes, which perchance looked down from the open space, could have beheld on one of the most solitary and dangerous places in the sea two objects, between which the interval was decreasing because the one was approaching the other one almost imperceptible amid the broad swell of the billows was a sailboat in that boat there was a man it was the paunch bearing gilliatt the other motionless colossal black reared a singular figure above the waters two lofty pillars sustained above the waters in space a sort of horizontal cross-beam which was like a bridge between their summits this bridge so shapeless from the distance that it was impossible to make out what it was, formed one body with the two supports. It resembled a doorway. Of what use was a doorway in that universal opening the sea? One would have pronounced it a titanic dolmen planted there in mid-ocean by a gigantic freak, and built up by hands which have the habit of proportioning their constructions to the abyss. That wild silhouette rose against the clear background of the sky. The gleams of morning were increasing in the east. The whiteness of the horizon increased the blackness of the sea. Opposite, on the other hand, the moon was setting. These two columns were the Douvre, the sort of mass encased between them, like an architrave between two jams, was the Durande. This reef, holding fast its prey and displaying it to view, was terrible. Things sometimes have a somber and hostile ostentation in the face of man. 
there was defiance in the attitude of these rocks. They seemed to be waiting their opportunity. Nothing could be more haughty and arrogant than their whole appearance. The conquered vessel, the triumphant abyss, the two rocks, all dripping still with the tempest of the day before, seemed perspiring combatants. The wind had moderated, the sea rippled peacefully. Some rocks could be made out on a level with the surface, where plumes of foam curled gracefully. A murmur like the humming of bees came from the open sea. All was level, except the two douvres, erect and upright as two black columns. They were all bearded with seaweed up to a certain height. Their perpendicular flanks glittered like armor. They seemed ready to begin the strike again. One felt that they were rooted in mountains beneath the water. They breathed forth a sort of tragic omnipotence. Ordinarily the sea conceals its blows. It prefers to remain obscure. This unfathomable gloom keeps everything to itself. It is very rare that this mystery yields up its secrets. Assuredly there is something of the monster in disaster, but in unknown quantities. The sea is both open and secret. It hides itself, and does not care to divulge its actions. It accomplishes shipwreck and covers it up. Its modesty is manifested by engulfment. The wave is a hypocrite. It slays, conceals its stolen goods, ignores, and smiles. It roars, then foams. There was nothing of the sort here. The Douvre had an air of triumph as they raised aloft above the waves the dead Durande. One would have pronounced them two monstrous arms emerging from the gulf and showing to the tempests this lifeless corpse of a ship. It was something in the nature of an assassin boasting of his deeds. The sacred horror of the hour contributed to the scene. Daybreak has a mysterious grandeur which is composed of a remnant of dreams and a beginning of thought. At that troubled moment a little of the spectral is still floating. The sort of immense capital letter H, formed by the two Douvres with the Durande forming the connecting cross-line, appeared against the horizon in indescribable twilight majesty. Gilead was dressed in his sea-clothes, a woolen shirt, woolen stockings, shoes with nail-studded soles, a knitted jacket, trousers of coarse thick stuff with pockets, and on his head one of those red woolen caps, then in use among sailors, which were called in the last century galériennes, galley slave-caps. He recognized the reef and went towards it. The Durande was exactly the reverse of a sunken vessel. She was a vessel hung up in the air. No task of salvage could be more difficult to undertake. It was broad daylight when Gilliatt arrived in the waters about the reef. As we have just said, there was but little swell. The water had only the amount of agitation which is communicated to it by being contracted between the rocks. Every channel, small or large, has this choppy sea. The interior of a strait is always more or less foaming. Gilliatt did not approach the Douvre without precaution. He cast the lead a number of times. Gilliatt had a few things to land. 
accustomed to being absent from home he kept a stock of provisions for a sudden departure always ready it consisted of a sack of biscuits a sack of rye flour a basket of salt fish and smoked beef a large can of fresh water a norwegian chest painted with flowers containing some coarse woolen shirts his tarpaulin coat and his tarred leggings and a sheepskin which he threw over his jacket at night on quitting the but de la rue he had thrown all these things with the addition of a loaf of fresh bread hastily into the paunch anxious to be off he had taken with him no other implements than his blacksmith's hammer his axe and hatchet a saw and a knotted rope armed with a grappling iron with a ladder of this description and the knowledge how to use it refractory cliffs become accessible and a good sailor finds available points in the most unpromising precipices the use which the fishermen of goslin have made of a knotted rope can be seen in the island of sark his nets and lines on all his fishing tackle were in his boat he had placed them there from force of habit and mechanically for he was about to sojourn for some time if he carried out his undertaking in an archipelago of shoals where fishing implements are of little use at the moment when gilead came alongside the reef the tide was falling a favorable circumstance the receding waves left uncovered at the foot of the little douvre several flat or slightly inclined layers of rock which represented tolerably well platforms to support a flooring these surfaces some narrow some wide ranged with irregular spacing along the vertical monolith were prolonged in a thin cornice up to the durande which swelled out between the two rocks it was gripped there as in a vice these platforms were convenient for landing and looking about the stock of provisions which had been brought in the paunch could be landed there for the time being but he must make haste they were only out of water for a few hours when the tide rose they would sink beneath the foam once more it was in front of these rocks some flat some sloping that gilliatt pushed his boat and lay to a wet and slippery coating of seaweed covered them and their sloping surfaces increased the slipperiness here and there gilliatt took off his shoes and stockings leaped barefoot upon the seaweed and moored his boat to a point of rock then he advanced as far as he could on the narrow cornice of granite arrived beneath the durande raised his eyes and surveyed it the durande was caught suspended and balanced as it were between the two rocks about twenty feet above the sea a violent fury of the waves must have been required to hurl it up there there is nothing astonishing to seafaring men in these frantic blows to cite only one instance on the twenty fifth of january eighteen forty in the gulf of stora as a tempest was nearly over with its final surge it struck a brig and hurled it bodily over the shipwrecked hull of the corvette la marne and fixed it fast bowsprit first between two cliffs moreover only one half of the durande was in the douvre the vessel snatched from the waves had been in some way uprooted from the water by the hurricane the whirlwind had twisted it the whirlpool of the sea had held it back and the vessel thus grasped in contrary directions by the two hands of the tempest had been broken like a lath 
the stern with the engine and the wheels lifted out of the foam and driven with all the fury of the cyclone into the defile of the douvre had entered up to the midship beam and there she had remained the blow of the wind had been well directed to drive that wedge between those two rocks the hurricane had turned into a club the bow carried away and rolled about by the storm had been broken to pieces on the rocks the shattered hold had emptied the drowned cattle into the sea a large section of the sheathing of the bow still clung to the wreck and hung from the riders of the left paddle-box by a few dilapidated ties easy to break with the blow of an axe here and there in distant cavities of the reef planks strips of canvas pieces of chain all sorts of fragments were to be seen lying tranquilly on the rocks gilliatt gazed attentively at the durande the keel formed a ceiling above his head the horizon where the limitless expanse of water was barely moving was serene the sun was rising superbly from that vast blue circle from time to time a drop of water was detached from the wreck and fell into the sea End of chapter one the place which it is hard to reach and difficult to leave